Want exclusive content and a say on Emerging Cricket's direction? Support us on Patreon. From as little as $2 a month, you'll be helping us grow the game outside its traditional centres. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Emerging Cricket. Coming up on today's show, the web that is USA Cricket, Namibia hosting international play, Sandeep Mamachane, and news around the world. Welcome again to another Emerging Cricket Podcast across the usual listening spots. I'm Daniel Beswick and I'm joined by three other Emerging Cricketers tonight. I wasn't going to have the welcome, but I think we should have the special welcome. You've confused me there. That's okay, that's okay. Let's just go through the usual suspects. We've got Copernicus Cricket on Twitter. Nick Skinner. Nick, how are you? I'm very well. Um, I'm going to take this opportunity to wish Tim happy birthday because I've been saving it up all day. <laughs> I haven't texted him yet. So happy birthday, Tim. Tim Cutler, future Vanuatu CEO. Happy birthday. Welcome again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. How are you, sir? Well, older. Oh. 39, huh? Look, in a year's time, if that's not the best excuse to get everyone to Vanuatu for a, for a birthday party of that magnitude, mm. then, um, you know, everyone in the Emerging Cricket family is invited. <laughs> We might be allowed out of the country by then too. You make a good point because our guest tonight, I tell you what, Vanuatu would be a nice meeting place for all. And you will join him soon in the 40 Club. We welcome once again Nate Hayes, better known as Crickfan USA on Twitter, our Emerging Cricket correspondent in the USA. Nate, how is it on a chilly North Carolina morning? I'm pretty good. I'm uh, camping out in the garage so that I my kids can uh, wake up freely and do their typical craziness without interrupting us. But yeah, doing pretty good. I'm, g- I'm going to today in about six hours to get the first shot of the vaccine. So uh, looking forward to that. Let's go. Uh, we're months away from having uh, the equivalent. What's the rigmarole of all of that? You, you're lined up in a, in a general practitioner's. Is it just a, a huge line for two hours getting the jab what what's the what's the go well you you gotta you gotta find a place to get it first and then most of the time they're outdoors you dry up drive up style or at a, a sports venue like a stadium or something like that or a large parking lot in this case i'm i'm going to a town in the middle of nowhere about an hour away and uh gonna have to get in line apparently this the signage is a little bit handwritten but uh, i'll follow the signs when i when I arrive and um, get my jab and sit in the car for 15 minutes to make sure I don't die, and then um, you know have a, have a, have one of those rare one in a billion incidents, and then uh, come home and then go back in three weeks and do it all again. So yeah, it's amazing that we've got a vaccine. I remember this time last year, you know, the I think it might have been after the World Cup just finished the women's world cup but we we were just getting the sort of the news about the pandemic coming out and some uh, some dubious medical advice was coming out of nepali franchise cricket teams and we we had to uh, encourage our listeners to 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 take a, their cues from the medical professionals <laughs> yeah it's it's that would be nice around here too in some cases if people uh, listen to that advice you know there's all kinds of because <laughs> i've heard all i've heard all kinds of uh, we've all heard all all, all arguments uh, for and against and it's uh 
but you know i think most people are accepting it and that's a good thing and hopefully i'll be ready by by the 40th birthday party in vanuatu next year uh, i'll have my little uh, vaccine passport or whatever that you know ready to go yeah short flight from uh, north carolina to vanuatu i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> well it's worth it it's 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 like the it's the first milestone birthday after you know i guess what 21 here anyways where you can finally drink alcohol and there's not another one until you're 84 or 83 when your family remembers that you passed 80 and you might die soon and they all have a big party for you so you know it's it's worth it <laughs> i was wondering where that was going um <laughs> yeah i don't know we, i think we just refer to ourselves as being further and further over the hill but um no that will be fun but good news on you getting the vaccine and i'm thinking it must be the first time you've been by yourself for quite a while as well in that house of yours with the kids having been homeschooled and and everything i know you occasionally get to the park to still practice your bowling which um you know that's that's commitment but some time alone for you as well yeah that that's true it'll be a two-hour break where i don't have to worry about stepping on some old band-aid or something so <laughs> little time to myself listen to some music loudly not going to be listening to some uh, american cricket administrators oh uh, no no thank you uh, <laughs> i think i'll mute my phone yes <laughs> I, f- I feel like there's a segue there nicholas there is indeed nate's phone has been uh, ringing off the proverbial hook because obviously They don't have hooks anymore. (laughs) There's a lot going on in the American cricket world uh, administratively uh, involving courts. Now, this is something of of a throwback. It it reminds me a lot of um, the old USACA days. Now, is this USAC B? Are we back to the the lawsuits at dawn situation again? Well, it it does seem that way. This is... uh it's not fun. Every time something like this pops up, I end up reading old Peter Delapena articles for about a half a day. Um, <laughs> There's a lot. In this case, especially. But yeah, I mean, going back to Yusaka, uh, some of the history there, the old national governing body was suspended three times from 2005 until their ban in 2017. And they fought a lot of lawsuits within the board that set them back uh, financially. They, they directed a lot of their actions, you know, canceled things off on the field and things like that. So this is kind of a whiff of that again, to some degree. But I'll, I'll give a little timeline about how this came about. So in, in 2019, I'm going to go back like a year plus. In 2019, USA Cricket delayed their elections and their AGM until February of 2020. So throughout 2020, Leagues were providing USA Cricket with the names and contact information of thousands of players and potential members as USA tried to build up their membership. USA Cricket was working on a membership portal an app, which they'll likely admit took a lot longer than they had hoped. In November of 2020, USA Cricket announced a referendum in hopes of extending the voting rights to anybody who was a member by a later to be determined date. Uh, The referendum was passed in December, but USA Cricket did not specify that it met the constitutional definition of 67% or what we understand as the constitutional definition, citing instead that they'd consulted with their lawyers and determined they'd satisfied constitutional requirements to pass the resolution. USA then announced that as a result of that, they would extend voting rights to anybody who joined up by the end of March 15th, 2021, and then they would hold elections at a later date. So they're being sued by two members of the board, individual director Vinu Pasike and uh, player director Srini Salver. And they are alleging that the individual defendants, the five that they're suing, uh, they're, they're suing uh, independent director and chairman Parag Marathi, individual director Siraj Viswanathan, who's uh, up for re-election, club director Ajith Baskar, who's also up for re-election, league director Sushil Nadkarni, 
who's a former USA captain, independent director Catherine Carlson, and chief executive officer Ian Higgins over alleged breaches of their fiduciary duties as directors and or officers of USA Cricket and for the ultra-virus acts taken by the individual defendants on behalf of USA Cricket. So what they're alleging is that the individual defendants voted to pass the referendum by a simple majority instead of the constitutionally defined requirement of 67% supermajority. They're alleging that CEO Ian Higgins had access to monitor the electronic votes and that he reached out to members who had not yet voted in order to influence their decision. Then they allege that individual directors were not constitutionally eligible to vote for the independent director position, uh, suggesting that their terms had officially expired in August, thus depriving yet-to-be-elected board members their right to participate in the selection of the new independent director. And they're also alleging that the individual directors failed to hold the election and the AGM by the constitutionally defined date of November 30, 2020. So that's that's kind of a summary of what's what's happening right now so it's there's a lot of <laughs> pretty technical stuff going on but basically they're accusing the individuals named of of failing to follow the USAC constitution and they're accusing Higgins of essentially fiddling with the results uh, do you think there's any merit to the accusations and why do you think they would be doing those things if if indeed um, the accused were doing those things so that kind of all goes back to the question of uh, the membership numbers. So as of, well, actually, as of the summer of 2020, there were only um, 723 members officially with voting rights for uh, USA Cricket. Um, and from that, only four, maybe five clubs as defined. And so that's not a very big base. Um, so USA Cricket will argue that they felt it was most important to expand, expand their uh, electorate. And they had just gotten, I believe they claimed about 15,000 names of potential uh, m- new members. So the idea is that they, they didn't want one single large minority deciding the election. And the, a way to combat that w- would be to expand the, uh, the electorate. So the question right now is who is eligible to vote? And is it that 723 member uh, list from summer of 2020 or you could even argue that it's zero that nobody's eligible because everybody's uh, membership officially lapsed in july or you could argue that it's the (laughs) or you could argue that it's 20,000, the 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 number that they actually collected after after the referendum and over you know over 100 clubs also um you know it's really it's such a thick thing uh, if there, if there, if you argue that there are zero teams and clubs, why did we have a referendum asking them to vote, to vote on this? And, uh, did USA cricket do this and then come to the realization legally that they didn't really have to ask people, you know, is this, is that going to be their argument? I'm not sure. Um, also, uh, why not wait for the new incoming board to vote for the independent director? That's, that's one question. Um, so the plaintiffs argue that they've deprived the potential new members of the board from the opportunity of selecting that individual director who happens to also be the chairman. So it's, it's, uh, there's so many layers to it. It's really easy to, to get lost in everything. And, um, every time, obviously one argument comes, comes around, there's, there's another question, you know, as with everything. So Venu Pasike and, and Trini Salva are running this lawsuit, basically. What are they sort of, what do they stand to gain if it goes in their favor? Well, for starters, Srini is the is the uh, player director. He really doesn't look like he has anything to gain from this. So he's got the what looks like 
um, an argument based on, on principle on the surface. And um, whereas Vinu, he won re-election last time with that small electorate, but he has a very large um, voting base. Peter Delapena went through the, the 2019, I guess, uh, electorate and found that uh, Georgia has 232 of those 723 individuals. That's 32.1%. And that is where Hoseke, uh that's kind of his territory. So the question is, what does he stand to gain from it? Well, I mean, clearly he can influence the election a lot uh, if he if he wants to. Now, at the, on the other hand, yes, we only had 723 individuals, and he had 232 of them. But in in a country that boasts a large cricketing population like like ours, 232 members from your region, it just sounds like he did a better job than everyone else of of get, of, of getting people in his area to sign up. So yeah, one argument is definitely why should he suffer from that? Or does this does 232 members prove that he's stacking the deck? And USA then went on to have a membership drive wanting more people to sign up. So you could argue that he's he's just ahead of the curve. Well, yeah, I remember talking to you about it a little while ago and sort of making the comparison to some some US states uh, which which get senators um, despite very small populations and, and, you know, obviously their disproportionate influence i'm just wondering you know looking a bit more broadly what 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 are like where where does usac go from here because it's all it's been barely a couple of years and they're already slipping into supposedly you know ignoring their constitution and then uh having lawsuits where they're essentially suing themselves this is this is a really bad look for a new board that was constituted essentially to um you know draw a line under the <laughs> the antics of the previous board usaka yeah and, and i think it, i don't i'm not sure where they go f- from here to be honest I, it's just when i look at it I, I feel like it's such a shame that they lost the they had 7000 members at one point they lost all but 723 of them and you know it kind of goes back to once you lose that many it's like a really big uphill climb and that was the thing once when they when when it was all free they got 7000 people to sign up when everyone had to pay 10 bucks or whatever it it jumped it, it jumped down to 723 and now they've kind of done the, done a similar thing they've they've put the uh, fees on the the leagues instead of on the individuals and you know it jumped up to 20000 pretty quickly what well, you know hopefully next time they renew they'll they'll be able to keep that or a large chunk of that at least uh, you know ideally you'd like to see your membership grow so they have to tackle that it, it, clearly we have a culture where people don't want to spend 10 bucks to be a member so i think if you if you resolve that issue if you always have a large electorate these these sort of things won't be as common and um that that's the big shame that you can look back at this and say wow if they just had their if they had just had their membership in order by the time the constitution states we wouldn't be in this mess at all so that's it really is a shame that that that, that wasn't the case yeah, and you know, you, you talked about the money there. I've seen a statement from USAC essentially saying that if this drags on, they're going to have to start cutting programs um, and you know, development efforts, essentially, which is the, exactly the problem with the previous board and and you know all their money just going down the sink on on these frivolous lawsuits. So, what you know, what if it isn't swiftly resolved? Do you see the U.S. Uh, national team suffering, or or do you think the partnership with ACE means that they'll have the the funds to keep um, you know keep going forward? Well, I don't think it's out of question that that they'll that they'll struggle with uh, holding events. Um, you know, looking in the history, money these types of things caused 
money problems with Yusaka, which caused them to not schedule events also. So I don't know if Ace can, can rescue them or if, if they're on the hook to rescue them. That's another thing. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. And, and that's definitely a huge question. But uh, either way, you know, they've built a lot of momentum, it seems, the last year. Uh, a lot of optimistic things, especially with the, the U19 Nationals coming up. And um, so it's it's just a, it's just a shame. I, I'm not sure if U.S. If, if Ace is going to kind of bail this situation out or even if they if they can. But it, it certainly throws a wrench in everything. I'm interested, Nate. You talked about, you know, the idea of people not willing to cough up $10 for the sake of a membership. Are people at the grassroots level, your, your club cricketers around the place, are they disillusioned by what the governing body is in the States? Or do they just think that, well, none of those issues really cut through into club cricket. It, it doesn't really matter to them. It's kind of, um, there's an awful lot of cynicism here and a lot of posturing uh, from people who aspire for more power and more control than, than, they, than they currently have. So that adds to a lot of the noise. But yes, like you said, uh, you know, it's tough to engage the, the country when I've mentioned it before, but a lot of these leagues, uh, the youth programs are subsidizing the, the adult programs. So that just goes to show how a lot of the culture uh, in cricket in USA is kind of self-centered. The players care about their softball game or their hardball game. You know, the adult players care care more about that than anything else. They care more about their game this, this weekend than they do about the national team they, and their their own youth programs in their, in their neighborhoods. So it, it's a shame. It's, and I, it sounds like I'm crapping on everybody pretty big, but you know that's one of USA's big challenges is to engage that community and to to show them that there is value for being a member. When uh, really a lot of guys just they just want to play cricket, you know they they don't care about the national stuff. They don't they don't care about zonals and things like that. A lot of these adults. So that's one of the. I mean, in my opinion, that's why you, you got to focus a lot on the kids. You got to focus a lot on the U19 age group and, and and the youth players because they're the ones that that are you're going to be able to motivate and you're going to build a culture where you, you know, the more kids we have who want to play for the national team, the better. So it's, it's an uphill climb, but yeah, it, there's a lot of cynicism in the community based on our history too. Those who do, who do care about it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. And, and, and I think USA is going to look at that. They're going to point to that large membership numbers that they've just gotten as kind of like self-evident uh justification for what they did i i mean I, I don't think there's any doubt that they're that they're gonna take that uh argument it's a fascinating place to me in terms of of recreational sport the usa because if you look to some of the the major sports in the country that the drop-off in participation numbers once people get into adulthood is quite marked Cricket kind of has this opportunity from the outside looking in that there would be a really good chance for cricket to potentially be that recreational sport for people of, of all ages and all abilities to, to play and enjoy. To kind of bring it back to, to what's going on here, how difficult can it be for a national governing body to, to then go out and, and to help roll out a bunch of competitions and, and run cricket from a, a state even from a state-to-state -state basis, not necessarily local cricket as well. I imagine given the, the vastness of the country, it is it is quite difficult, even though there is that opportunity. Yeah, that's that's a challenge even on a good day. Just um, our country's humongous, and um, th there's probably a dozen or so hubs where cricket is very robustly participated in, and um, then there's the rest of the country that where it isn't. So that's definitely... A big challenge is to to bring the, the community together. It's always been the challenge here. When when especially you you have everybody fighting for, uh, you know, they want to put their flag in 
and uh, yeah, it's very, it's a, it's a rough ride. This sort of goes back to one of the I don't know, perennial issues with American cricket is that there's a lot of people in America who who love cricket, but there's not that many people who love American cricket. And and you know, balancing that, you have these huge participation numbers, and oh look, you know, there's hundreds of leagues and all these people playing, but. In terms of getting people actually involved in the national team project, it, it's a lot harder. And you know, so one you know, one of the arguments that sort of comes up around these issues is that you should just you know forget forget the you know the big top line numbers. Just focus on people who are interested in the national team stuff. Ignore all the people with their leagues who who don't really care and just want to you know get together with their mates and and just focus on people who are willing to to buy into the national team program. You know, wh- where do you f- sort of fall on on that side of things? Well, it's tricky because you have to work with people who are a part of cricket right now. You know, you have to include them in your circle. You're just not going to have anybody. And that's a big challenge. It's it's the people who are interested in the national team. There's, there's kind of a tradition of a lot of um, academies here, you know, from people who have been related to USA cricket in some in, in some aspect or another, or, you know, some famous coaches or something. And they use that lure of, hey, I can make your kid good so that they make the U19 team, you know, which of course they're going to do, you know, they're going to do that. That's the idea. You know, you, you want to, you, you want a good U19 team and you, and the kids, you want them to want to play on that U19 team. But a lot of these independent uh, academies have that lure and they feel a little bit threatened by, by ACE. So, so, so that's 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 another challenge is is the community you're trying to engage with feels a little bit threatened by by your partner basically and and that's that's a big that's a big challenge as well so we have to unify we have to bring those people in under the umbrella and i think that's part of uh usa cricket's strategy so you can't just cut everyone loose and say all right here we're going to draw a line you're either on our side or you're basically playing illegal cricket or something because you wouldn't you wouldn't have anybody if you did that it would just it would be a bigger scandal than anything else probably it might be actually a good opportunity when, since you've you've brought up ACE American Cricket Enterprises for those who haven't really been on on top of this. Who are ACE and what is their relationship in in the context of, of US cricket? So ACE is uh, basically the only thing ACE is is the their American Cricket Enterprises. They they're running the, the Major League Cricket, which is our professional our first professional cricket league. So so they that's their role and also minor league cricket which which is the feeder into the major league cricket ideally and also my major league youth which is their solution to an elite youth program uh an elite youth national program so you know they're they're a private conglomerate hopes to capitalize on professional cricket in the country and they've got the the rights to the uh the official professional league see i this is probably a little bit self-indulgent but when i look at at usa cricket and, and people involved in us cricket there are so many people who have an abundance of of money or resources to to try and help the cause but a lot of the time and, and we've seen it with the ideas of of building stadiums for cricket something like cricket all-stars which happened you know many moons ago now it seems as if on the outside American cricket has such potential in that there's so many people keen for American cricket to just rocket into the stratosphere but the issue a lot of the time tends to be that they all kind of want to be 
the hero in in all of it as some sort of you know godfather figure in in the way that USA cricket is is kind of eventually you know finding its way as becoming a global superpower in in world cricket. So without giving you too much notice on this question, Nate, is there somehow a solution where you could unite every single one of those people into some you know mega structure of of USA cricket that could take the game into new new heights? Well, first of all, hundred percent agree with you that. There's just a lot of self-interest people who, for some reason, they want the library named after them or whatever. You know, they they want the Nate Hayes Oval in in North Carolina. They, <laughs> right, right. Uh, but yeah, they they. It's almost like they want to. They don't mind tearing down everything in order to put their flag on the rubble. You know, and it's uh, it's 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 kind of sad. But yeah, that's that's definitely good anal- a good analysis of the scene here. But but yeah, back to your question, uh, what could unite the the country? Uh, I've thought about this a ton, and, and it goes back to what I said about I think you have to start with the kids. You have to start getting them all on, on board. You have to you have to start. The kids want to you know, and that's it, one of the things that minor league cricket I think does is it fills a gap between the teenage years and the mid 20s which players would just disappear you know they 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 would either make or not make the u19 team then they would go to college and then you know it's it's kind of an an awkward phase and that's difficult for all countries that's always a gap that needs to be filled so they've kind of started to fill that gap with minor league giving people that age a a a high-end weekend league to play in which is a great idea but but yeah i think it goes back to the youth players and I kind of my opinion is and I'm sure I've got blinders but my opinion is that USA cricket kind of somebody's going to have to subsidize the the elite you know under 21 or under 19 or something yeah probably under 19 somebody's going to have to subsidize that so that you, you're not sending kids around to these camps all the time and their parents spending are, are spending $20,000 to travel around the country to attend every zonal or every uh national uh youth camp uh, wh- along with trying to play in their their regular league at home and and whatever other competitions arise, which are always expensive, also. So, if, if, you know, my opinion is if if USA says, all right, I know everybody's worried that that ACE is a monopoly or something, and they're trying to monopolize high end uh, elite youth uh, cricket. Uh, if they say, okay, well. You know, if we're subsidizing that, then your local academies or whatever other thing that that everyone's worried, whatever everyone's worried about going away, uh, which is really a big part of it, people are worried that their stake in things is going to diminish. So if you subsidize the national stuff, then their local stuff can stay intact. People will feel a little more safe about their territories, you know, their academies and stuff. Um, that's that's just one way, one thing I think could could bring everyone together. Now that's a big, that's a tall task. That's like a couple million bucks, easy, easy. But that's, uh, you know, you get sponsorship, you get more money. And I think that would be a really smart place to put it because that might might uh, quiet a lot of the uh, cynicism. I, well, I think Bez's question about bringing it all, all together is probably a necessary kind of almost a construct as we think about the new USA cricket with a professional structure that is, is owned and run by a, by a third party. And then you've got national teams run by USA cricket and domestic leagues that feed ostensibly into a national team structure but there's also minor leagues and major leagues we saw a promo video recently with Corey anderson dan peets and various other coaches there with a would look like an under 19s squad training can you tell us more about that because i think it was interesting for a lot of people to see Corey anderson there the last time we heard about Corey, he was playing a world cup final and and now he lives in the u.s 
Well, yeah, they, uh, Major League Cricket held their Major League Youth Elite uh, camp in Houston, I guess about two weeks ago now, and they had players from all over the country that they invited, and that camp was kind of, uh, it was 47 of the best U19 players in the country gathered together in one place to, to learn from, from, from these uh these ace coaches or these major league cricket coaches such as Corey Anderson and Dane Pete. So I got to talk to them and talk to some of the players and by most accounts, well, by every account I talked to, it was, it was a huge success. There was a little bit of um, an unwarranted scandal, well, potential scandal, not really scandal, but there was a little bit of fuss about maybe, oh, why were the national team coaches at this ace thing? See, that's proof that it's a, um, monopoly but but it's it's crazy to think that you would invite 47 of the best U19 players in the country to one place for a whole week and not have national coaches there to, to check them out not not take advantage of that opportunity so you know if you look back to the summer it's amazing the amount of things that have taken place in a pandemic at that age level so you have minor league cricket that happened in a, a abbreviated exhibition se- season and then you have these zonals you have this uh major league cricket youth uh, event and then you have nationals coming up next month and then you have the u19 30 person selection trials basically and then you have the qualifiers coming up. So in about a span of a year, they'll have had all of these different opportunities to show themselves off to the national uh, coaches. And I think that's a really positive thing. It's, it, and that's an age group you can build a lot of um, excitement with. You know, all the kids I've talked about being able to talk to guys like Corey Anderson, who's played in some extremely uh, stressful situations, you know, they've picked his brain. And there's always going to be that debate about whether or not you should bring players like from other countries over just actively. But but, you know, there's a good case to be made that, that this is um, helping the uh, morale for the young players. Oh, absolutely. As you say, you've got world-class coaches. Why wouldn't you use them? I guess that question sort of hanging if people aren't quite sure, you know, are they national team coaches or are they major league coaches and, and the, the relationship between? I guess we all just hope we, we hear more and more about that because, you know, we're seeing a multi-million dollar baseball stadium be converted to cricket and talk of more stadiums being being built you know there's a lot on, on the horizon I guess it's just that somewhat uncertainty at the moment isn't it about the demarcation lines and knowing and knowing what ends and, and, and what starts you know there's some great people in USA cricket you know I can think of Richard Doan over there that I worked with really closely when he was at the ICC you know I, I wouldn't call him the father of uh, World Cricket League and, and, and Intercontinental Cup but definitely in the, the latter years the mid to latter years he was the one behind that and was a, a real trusted advisor and partner of the associate so there's some good people there working working hardest i guess the the problem being well the fact that all these people have been flown from around the united states into a camp already kind of i gotta say it really does sort of my, my ear definitely i perk up when i hear that considering the situation that you guys are in the country at the moment that how that was done you know how long, <laughs> how long did they have to quarantine for prior etc where that's that would have been an undertaking in itself so what are the plans at the moment we're seeing elite sport in the u.s being played but with no crowds is there any update from minor league major league cricket circles as to to dates schedules for when we're going to see both of those tournaments up and running well they're still targeting minor league for this summer i'm not sure for how long or the timeline of it or if they'll work it around some of their national events. Really, the details haven't been fleshed out or at least made known to the public. And then the Major League competition is supposed to start the following year, 2022. So there hasn't been really any talk that any of that's not going to happen. And, and, and I think, you know, that's 
that that sort of thing will probably go on no matter what happens with the board situation. Yeah, it's disappointing to think that these things are getting out of the way of kids being able to play cricket and and cricket being able to be seen. You know, I think the for me the conversation around all these people playing cricket that don't care, or at least we don't think they care about the national team and how do you do that? It's by having a national team that's being seen by as many of the cricket fans, cricket family as possible, and having a, a credible league system that people are feeling part of but it's really hard to show the hard work that's being done to to go towards that when people aren't playing and there's nothing happening and there's a lot more time idle hands i think is the uh mm. is the um the term that comes comes to mind as a uh, literary as i'll get there nicholas that would be normally something that you'd be uh, you'd be doing on our, on our behalf i just feel for everyone working so hard behind the scenes for, the, for this to happen but um interesting stuff nate i like that they tried to nail you down to say what you think the answer is you know poor old Poor old you sitting there, you know, running run around after your two kids trying to homeschool them. And by the way, can you uh, give us your suggestions for, for fixing this? So what does that mean for your playing? What's what's happening with your with your local team? My league's going on kind of as normal this year, which, uh, I'm, you know, <laughs> it, it's nice that cricket's happening, but it's also a little bit crazy. But, uh, but yeah, so, so it, things are kind of going on fairly as normal this year. Um, they've got protocols in place and things like that. I think everyone's kind of gotten used to that because we did have a season last year too. And I, my own cricketing, I haven't, I haven't played with a single other person other than a, an eight-year-old and a five-year-old for over a year. And um, I'm going to continue to do so until I feel like it's safe. I'm getting the vaccine today. My, my wife got her first shot yesterday. But, you know, I'm just going to play it by ear. I'm in no rush. I like to throw the ball against the fence anyways. So, <laughs> And uh, and work on your carom ball. I've, I've seen some videos there, mate. Right. You've only seen the good ones. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Dear sir, I am carom ball bowler, fielding all-rounder from America. I want to... I've already got that in my Vanuatu cricket inbox from this guy from from America. <laughs> sped up, <laughs> really suspiciously <laughs> sped up, just as he's about to let go of it. <laughs> it. It's been my dream to play for Vanuatu ever since I found out only three people in in, in the whole country have gotten COVID. So, <laughs> yeah, ever since then it's been my dream. <laughs> Please, sir, I am vaccinated. <laughs> Yeah, it's a web of issues in the US uh, and, well, you don't. We, we never really know where to begin, but <laughs> Nate, your expertise on all of it helps uh, immeasurably for, for us here talking about it, but also in terms of covering it on, on emerging cricket. So, so glad that you're, that you're with us to, to shed light on, on the entire situation. There's a few other things to talk about this week and Nate, we'll, we'll keep you around to discuss them as well. More qualifiers postponed. Boys, we're starting to run out of time here. It looks as if Asian qualifiers, African qualifiers affected uh, across men's and women's cricket. We have seen some other bilateral play set up and announced by various boards. But Tim, just looking at it logistically, we're either going to have the most hectic cricket schedule of all time coming up or we're just going to have to abbreviate a lot of these qualifiers. In fact, some of them already have been. What's the solution, Tim? Well, I guess you put Nate on the spot. It'd be only fair for you to do the, the same to me. Look, we're seeing what, what happens when everything's being done is and time is running out. So always disappointing to see tournaments cancelled. The ones you mentioned were uh, Division 2 Asia 
Um, I think Africa under Division 2 is still going to be played immediately before um, Division 1. Look, there's a lot of hard work going on in the background trying to get this to, to work, you know, calculating expenses, knowing which countries have which border controls on at the moment and how long you need to quarantine, getting in and outs. It's like the logistical nightmare that would be this at the moment in uh, in Dubai and regional offices trying to get this sorted. Yeah, I'm, I do not envy them at all going, going through that. And time is, is, is ticking. You know, we've talked about how much cricket we're potentially going to see back in a 21, in a 22. To leading up to both the, 50, the men's 50 over World Cup, women's T20 World Cup, 50 over World Cup, the pathway there too as well. <laughs> Under 19 World Cup, it, it is it's just crazy. Um, and challenge being making sure the right teams are getting through. And as we've talked about, a lot of these teams, there might be too much cricket for them where they weren't unable to get as many of their, their best players together as possible. But yeah, I'm not sure whether there's another way of approaching it, maybe in the, the men's T20s or indeed in 50 over cricket that enables teams to actually be playing against each other that maybe sit outside of divisions to try and build up a block of points. I, I don't even know at the moment. I don't know, I don't know what's being looked at. But you know, we've heard options being discussed about super series as we get to the end of the year playing triple round robins or quadruple round robins instead of the, the double round robins that we're going to see in Cricket World Cup League 2. It's just really difficult. I, I don't think any anyone really has the answer and I think the last thing that we'd all want to see be used at the moment is rankings yeah. um, when we know that um, there just isn't enough cricket played between these nations and I don't want to harp on about rankings, we do that enough, but there just isn't enough cricket played to really be comparing nations in, in different regions as well because they just haven't, haven't played against each other or against teams that have played um, across rankings, especially in those those lower places so sorry i really couldn't give you an answer but um <laughs> it's um it's a tough one yeah i'm, I'm just imagining you know a, a spreadsheet with all you know countries with vaccine rollout percentages and you know whether vaccine passports are happening and quarantine times and it's just it's making my head explode you know it, do, do you see that as a possible solution you know vaccine passports like nate talked about or um, you know, maybe Israel could host some tournaments because they've apparently uh, pretty much got everyone vaccinated already. Well, a couple of countries have, have, have gone well earlier. I don't know, the social aspect of passports for vaccines are an intriguing one themselves with the various conversations around that. Yeah, big ethical questions, yeah. Yeah, but I know that's not what, we, what we're here to talk about. We're talking about allowing sports people representing their nations to, to travel any way that makes it easier. Absolutely. Why not? You know, I also think there's not, well, I say opportunity, but you think of the other perhaps quite uh, left of field options, Townsville, Darwin, places like that that have hosted mm, yeah. um, tournaments before that might be a little bit easier to contain in terms of hotel booking outs, grounds near each other. And we might be able to get that done a lot, a lot easier and less expensive than it might be to be in being in a Dubai or somewhere like that. So that that could be an option as as well. And again, I, I this is just me talking and, and and nothing official. It's just you know, and I'm sure these things are all being looked at because everybody wants to play. You know, it's, people aren't trying to avoid playing here. We, you know, this isn't the talk of a full member refusing to play against a lower placed or a higher placed associate because they're afraid of losing losing ranking points. Everybody wants to get out on the field here. So um, yeah. It's to, to your point, yeah. If we're, anyway, it's going to make it easier, and if that's vaccine passports, then then great. But I think there are bigger fish to fry at the moment with countries being at different levels. 
Yeah, I'm just imagining the um, you, you know the the clip in Wallace and Gromit where he's got the train tracks and he's like desperately putting the tracks out in front of him as he's as he's going along on the on the toy train, and that's that's sort of the ICC with trying to get all these all these tournaments going. <laughs> yeah, except then they put them in a dip, completely just different size train, you know, just and then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, sorry, sorry guys, you don't have to go on this other train now. Everything's changed again. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I was about to say, Wallace and Gromit, it's like, no, I don't know that. But it's like, actually, no, I think we can all perceive that. We can all see that in our mind's eye, even if those of us who don't know what who Wallace and Gromit is. There is a lot, yeah. There's a lot of cricket to be played in, in not a lot of time now. Uh, yeah, I mean, if we, if we want to get uh, really selfish about it, Darwin and Townsville uh, would be fantastic to, to, to have uh, international associate cricket uh, on again. I mean, I'm all for that. Mm. I'm, I'm sure there are so many regional towns that would love that throughput. But look, I, I don't want to. That's flying in the face of, of Australia in this example's squeezing down the numbers of international arrivals. And then if you knew a cricket team, that's all cricket teams were taking the spot on planes of families that are stuck overseas. So there's there's so much to consider. And as much as we want to see cricket being played, there are bigger things sometimes. You know, the trade-off or the consideration being of how big sport is in a time like this and the chance for people to be watching their countries play. So don't want to discount how important that is, but I'm just sort of thinking out loud of those options that may not have ever been potentially considered, if not for an extreme situation like we're in. Some cricket that has been announced to go ahead, though, is a bilateral series in Namibia between them and Uganda uh, in early April. So it is coming up quick. It was all thrown together quite quickly. Caught us a little bit by surprise here. But T20 internationals and one-day matches, good preparation for both countries, both with uh, 2023 World Cup aspirations, uh, with Uganda going through the Challenge League, of course, Namibia in Cricket World Cup League 2, and also with T20 World Cup qualifying for the next World Cup, Namibia will see in, in India from October. So there's plenty to look forward to for them, but also plenty of preparation that has to be done. It's been a long time since both countries have had international cricket. I think possibly 18 months, both teams just about. So it is a very long time. Uh, and Nick, it's the first opportunity for Lawrence Mahatlane uh, as Ugandan coach. We could see Namibia rotate things a little bit, but it's shaping up as being, well, an interesting series for us as neutrals, but quite vital preparation for both teams. Yeah, I'm, I'm keen to see how we go with this because, um, yeah, Mahatlane has come from, he coached the South African under-19s, um, so he's got a you know, pretty good uh, resume, and so it'll be interesting to see what he does in the associate sphere. And Uganda have a number of exciting players like you know, Zephaniah Aranightway, who hits it very big. And of course, perennial favorite, uh, Frank Nisabuga, who's um, still going strong. I think he, he first played before Uganda had a team. He played for East Africa back in the day. And here's, here's a, um, this is something that I'm potentially looking forward to, is that there's a, a proposed union between a number of East African countries slated, if it happens, to be called the East African Federation. Um, so, potentially, you know, if we get the East African Federation, which brings together Burundi, Kenya, Rwanda, South Sudan, Tanzania, and Uganda, you know, if they become a single federated state, the plan is to, to make it happen in the early 2020s. They could then have their own cricket team. So Frank Nusabuga could go from playing for the East African team to playing for Uganda to then playing for the East African team again. So I, I think that would be a great career story for him. But to the um, the actual series, um, instead of you know, geopolitical trivia, I, I think Namibia, it'll be very interesting to see where they go with some of their spin options because you know, I'm, I'm looking at their um, their lineup for India. You know, you've got Bernard Scholz, Javago Hulnavald, uh, Mauritius Ngupita, Piki Yar France, 
uh, Nicol Lofty-Eaton, uh, even Gerrit Erasmus. So they've got a lot of spin options to get overs on you know spin-friendly decks. And seeing who gets you know who gets selected, I think will be an interesting sort of view into where uh, Pierre de Brown is is looking with his bowling options because you know they're, they're all very different. You know you've got um, Scholz and Hunovald who are both left arm orthos. Uh, you've got Ingepeter, Yafrance who are both offies. Nicole Lofty-Eaton who's a um, you know, quick leg spinner almost in the sort of Rashid Khan mold and Erasmus who's a uh, well <laughs> he's a he's a part-time bowler but he he's very canny and he's better than you think I think is is the trick and people sort of you know you, you look at him and, and you look like he should be able to hit him for six but he's just just a bit better than that and and he, he deceives a lot of batsmen so having that many spin options I think that's one thing to watch so Nick are you saying that Basically, they don't need to pick a quick bowler in India. I mean, you, we we talked about this with Jared Kimber, didn't we? Having um just having only spin bowlers, I think they pretty much could do that. The good thing as well is you know Erasmus is one of the best batsmen in associate cricket at least, and PR France is a handy bat as well. And and Lofty Eaton we saw in some domestic stuff can whack it around. So they they could potentially have a lot of all rounders as well, which uh, which which goes well, but. You know, if you wanted to go down that path, you know, you, you could have Scholz, Hunewald, Ngapita. So that's three bowlers. Uh, Yarfrance coming in at seven, maybe. And then, I don't, I don't know, maybe Jan Freilink bowling some cutters just to rough it up on in the first over. You've thought about this. Well, and because Freiling's another another big hitter, so although you'd need you'd want JJ Smith in there, JJ Smith would have to be there somewhere. Potentially, you could just play him as a batsman, honestly. Yeah, could Freilink. It's seven. Yeah, no, just get get Smith in at uh, at seven or eight to to bowl cutters and and rough it up. Hey, you never know; they might experiment with a bunch of this when the series against Uganda comes up. So, no, exactly. That's that's what I'm hoping happens, and we can sort of get a, a bit of an eye of what yeah what what they're thinking. Actually, it would be good to kind of get Nate's opinion on, say, that Namibian team, for instance, considering they're in the same echelon as as the USA. You know, World Cricket League 2 saw them pitted against each other. We saw that insanely good one-day match between them in the round-robin phase. But then when you look at T20 qualifying, we saw America bundled out in the America's qualifier and, and Namibia go from, from strength to strength. So, yeah, I'm just thinking maybe, you know, looking at, at some of these teams that have qualified for the T20 World Cup this year, Nate, and looking at, at how far behind the USA ended up in that qualifier, is that is that concerning at all from a national team point of view? Well, yeah, it's, it's especially... You know, you've been talking about all these spinners and spin-friendly conditions, and we, we all know what I guess recent history for for <laughs> USA is. So so yeah, it's it's um, and USA hasn't played for 13 months. They haven't been together. So I think yeah, it's it's definitely wor- worrisome. And they're they're getting ready to to play in Canada in the qualifiers. And the Canadians, meanwhile, you know, they all you know 80% of that team lives close enough together where they can all just get together and have a practice or something if if, if uh, COVID uh, regulations allow. But but yeah, it's any anytime you know it's just been too long and, and it makes you a little bit worried about about how they'll cope. A couple of news bits and pieces to wrap up this week's show. First, Cricket PNG has announced the resignation of national coach and high performance manager Joe Dawes just months out from the Barramundi's T20 World Cup campaign in India. Dawes was at the helm during the famous T20 World Cup qualification campaign and their reclaiming of one-day international status. Dawes will continue to assist in a transition for the new coach with his replacement likely to be announced next week. 
In a groundbreaking move for associate cricket, Nepali leg spinner Sandeep Lamachane has been signed by Worcestershire for the 2021 Vitality Blast. The 20-year-old is available for the entire tournament and joins Australian quick Ben Dorshus as overseas players for the Rapids. And finally, domestic cricket has returned to Kenya with the six-team African Premier League beginning on Thursday. The tournament at the Rural Raka Sports Club will run over 16 days, featuring a double-round robin phase and a finals weekend with a winner crowned on April 10. To keep up with news from Cricket's New World, make sure to follow Emerging Cricket on your favourite social media platforms and make sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you are listening to the podcast. For now, on behalf of myself, Daniel Beswick, the boys, Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner and Nate Hayes, enjoy the rest of your week wherever you are around the Emerging Cricket world.